Welcome to Evidence-Based Aesthetics, where science meets clinical skincare. Today's clinicians are bombarded with sales tactics and marketing hype aimed at selling a cosmetic product, device, or service, often with little to no scientific research to back it up. Master Aesthetician Instructor Kristen Group and Dr. Larry Group use peer-reviewed research to investigate and discuss the latest trends, equipment, procedures, and products in medical aesthetics, while poking fun at extravagant claims, as well as each other. Evidence-Based Aesthetics is produced monthly and supplemented by a Facebook group and Instagram. Viewers and listeners are actively encouraged to submit questions and topics for discussion. And now your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. Okay, we're back from break. Let's talk about laser salespeople. You're a laser salespeople. No, I don't consider myself a laser salesperson. What do you consider yourself? A laser educator. How is that different? Um, because my job is to educate people on what's best for their business and what's available and try to tailor what's available to what they need. As opposed to? A laser salesperson. Which does what? <laughs> Sells lasers. Okay. So, <laughs> to yeah. whomever has the money to buy one. <laughs> Let's get into this. So laser salespeople, we're not trying to disparage any particular person or even group of people, but we do need to be honest and talk about um, the fact that laser salespeople are pretty much sophisticated professionals with their sole mission is to sell as much as possible. Now, there are reputable salespeople out there. Our job as clinicians is to how, to how do you weed them out? How do you weed out the bad? What you'll kind of notice is that if they're asking you questions about your practice and trying to tailor the equipment to what it is that you have going, um, that's also often a good sign. Um, as opposed to if they only have one, say, one machine in their bag and they're pretty much pushing that machine on you, whether you even have patients that may or may not benefit from that or not, that's probably uh, not a good sign. What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, it's once, once you buy a laser, it's now your laser and you're going to have to make it work. So this whole process should be more of an educational uh, consultative approach as opposed to let me sell you this laser and all they want to talk about is how much money you're going to make from it. And if you buy the wrong type of laser for your practice that doesn't fit with your patient demographics, you're not going to make any money because you can't use it. And it becomes a big, huge uh, coat hanger in one of your rooms that then you start to resent and then you'll never, and this is what I don't understand about laser salespeople. There's a lot of very large companies out there that aren't looking two years, five years, 10 years down the line, because there is a joke out there that's what's the best way to get rid of a laser salesperson? Buy something. Right. And then they disappear. Their job is to come and sell you a laser and then move on to the next person. There's even companies out there that it is their job not to give their cell phone number or their number to get a hold of the rep to the doctor. They keep that away from the doctor. And which I think is crazy because it's like, well, what happens if they have a question? And the answer is they have to go to the company, not to the person that sold them, because now that this person that sold them this device is now on to another sale, and they don't want to talk to you because they've already taken your money. You're not really worth anything to them anymore. Yeah, they don't want to be tied up doing things like service or taking care of no. the person they already sold to. They're on to the next sale. Yes. And that's sort of a trend that we're starting to see now a lot in laser aesthetics in the last couple of years is that... They, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know companies, you know, big fish swallowing up smaller fish. One company's buying another, and what we're seeing is a lot of these sales tactics, these almost like used car sales tactics, or sometimes even more sophisticated than that. They're predatory tactics are being are, are they're actually being taught now to these salespeople and almost forced upon them. I um, mean, we know this how because we have. Uh, 
very, very people close to us that have worked for these companies and discussed a lot of the policies and a lot of the ways that these tactics are being employed. Uh, give an example with the, the puppy example. Oh, it's a company that their, their trainers are basically training their salespeople to get just in front of the doctor. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If it's asking about, do they get a new puppy or you have a new puppy? Do you want to see the pictures of it? Or let's ask about the kids. It's basically whatever it takes to get in front of the doctor. Um, and a lot of times when they go into these where they get an appointment where they'll say, well, Dr. So-and-so told me to give you a call because he wants me to set up an appointment with him, um, which never actually happened. The doctor or, never or discuss a medication, even though it's it's a it's a procedure. They're making it sound like they're almost like a pharmaceutical rep. And when they get in there, they're saying, "Hey, you know, you can use a laser for this instead of using medication." Exactly. It's it's just it's really it become incredibly aggressive. Um, and what's happening is these docs are are buying a device that doesn't work for their practice, and then they're going out of business. So let's talk about it. We, we, we talked about this before, but let's reiterate this notion of patient demographics influencing the equipment choice. That's so basically you've got to look at what is your patient demographics um, from a different a couple of different things. What is their skin type? When you're really looking at patient demographics, their skin type of the people that are coming to you is the most important thing because that's going to drive whether you can buy a piece of equipment that's going to work on those skin types or even if you can even do treatments on those skin types. So if you want to do photofacials but all of your skin types are fives and sixes, you're not buying the right piece of equipment because one, the melanin in their skin helps protect it so they don't have a lot of sun damage like somebody like I would. Um, but you're going to end up not being able to do a procedure you want to do so why are you buying a device that does a photofacial and you're not going to be able to use it because it's not going to work. You're going to burn the person. Right. Now, many cases you could say, well, I'd like to talk to somebody who owns this equipment before I buy it, which brings us to this notion of KOLs. Let's talk a little bit about KOLs, what it means, how that kind of helps us and kind of doesn't when we're trying to decide if, if a particular piece of machinery is right for our practice. Well, so a KOL is a key opinion leader. Okay. Um, how is that program established with these different docs? They get paid. They get paid to do what? They get paid to to speak on behalf of the laser company. Okay, and they um, use the machine themselves? Sometimes they use the machine, sometimes they have actually bought the machine, sometimes they have actually been given the machine. Okay. Sometimes they're given the machine with huge discounts. So it's like one of those Amazon reviews where they got the equipment for free. We tend but to see that those, those, those views are so glowing about whatever it is whenever they get it for free. Yeah, and hey, there's nothing wrong with hey, having a key opinion leader. There really isn't. There's nothing wrong with KOLs. Well, at least you have someone who's in the field who understands it and can compare it to other devices. But what we often see with key opinion leaders is that they tend to have a lot of other devices as well from all different places, and depending who's paying them is who what they're talking about. And we've dealt with that with our own device where we've got a doc who wants us to pay him a lot of money to be a KOL for uh, our company, Skin Styles, but he's getting money from another company, but he doesn't like that device, but he's willing to take the money and say he loves the device when he doesn't use it in his practice and he hates the device. So it's, it's you want to, so here's the thing. Everybody knows that if you put a referral on your resume, you're not going to give a referral that's going that's to right. say that you're a POS. That's right. And that's yeah. not point of sale. Yeah, anybody that's um, going to give a letter of recommendation, they're not going to say, this person's a complete dirtbag. No, you're going to you're you're pick... You're going to pick people that are going to yes. write things about you, just like KOLs are going to be people that say good things about the machines. Yes. And if they said something bad about it, it would almost be odd. 
Well, you know, and here's the thing. Every single device, I've never seen a device out there that I loved 100% of every single thing about it. And a lot of times, well, like you said before, a lot of times what what I like and what works for my practice would be terrible for somebody else's. Well, exactly. And it comes down to how does it feel in your hand? And I mean, that's, I mean, I, when I work with devices, I want to see the device. I want to feel the device. I want to work actually with the device before I actually buy the device. And we own a lot of lasers here and I've bought lasers from the major manufacturers. And I think we're kind of lucky here in Arizona. I think a lot of our reps are, um, uh, better trained and actually understand how lasers work. My first question that I ask a laser salesperson is, what does laser stand for? It is an acronym. If they don't know what laser stands for, and I've met probably about 60% that don't, they're out the door. It's like, if you don't understand what the acronym that you're trying to sell means, then you know nothing about your machine and you're not going to be helpful to me. Well, I think what's, you know, again, I, I am plugging your business, but but for this case, for a good reason, you're not just a laser salesperson. You're an actual clinician who owns a med spa who's used lasers for 16 plus years. That's what I did this morning. So, <laughs> so that's a different level of experience and a different level of salesmanship because as you say, you're much more able to talk about almost any device and say, hey, I've used this, I've taught on it, here's the goods about it, here's the bads about it. The other thing is, is that what we tend to see in this, this laser salesperson world, it's uh, sort of like a merry go incestuous merry-go-round. They will work for a place for a couple of years and everything that they sell is the best thing ever and all these other devices are absolute junk. And then two years later, they get hired by a different company, maybe they're promoted or something like that and all of a sudden now, Company B's lasers are the best possible lasers, and the ones they were selling, you know, those really were pieces of crap. The hard part with that is how do you go into the same doctor having changed uh, companies and make the same spiel? That's my issue with, with the whole thing. Big balls. Yeah, and, and, and it does. <laughs> and it, it takes the ability to pretty much spin information and that's what classes like this or videos or podcasts like this are are trying to be anti-spin how do we get out of this cycle of buying stuff we a is not particularly well suited for our, our practice or or b maybe it is but we we paid too much or or perhaps we bought it on too soon what we're trying to really do here is get a sense of before you purchase equipment these are the things you need to think about talk about discuss find out research because once you put the money down it's pretty tough to get it back it's really hard to get it back and and this is the whole thing is like i said obviously i love lasers my first trademark is a laser chick but some people love lamp. You love lasers. <laughs> I love lasers. I do. Excellent. Uh, but the problem is, is if you have to buy on, on a Friday and, you know, you just met the laser rep on Monday and you have to buy it. Nobody's going to die if you don't buy it on Friday. Yeah, they make what, it sound like it's the last deal you'll get. This yeah, is a, so we're demo, about demo you know, units. Talk about demo units a little bit because I always find that just so curious. Yeah, there's as many demo units as you actually want. Um, a lot of demo units haven't actually been used. Um, they just say they're demo units. I get emails because obviously I'm a buyer of laser equipment. I get emails every single week saying, hey, it's always like around a big show like AAD or ASLMS or the aesthetic show. Hey, we're going to be in town. You know, if we've been authorized by our VP of sales to, uh, you know, release three demo units and I wanted to call you first because they're going to go fast. Yeah, a lot of sense of urgency. There really is. And what's funny about a lot of these demo units is I didn't quite get it at first. Is like, I'm like, well, why would you want to discount the price of a brand new unit? But the idea is, is you want to be able to keep the MSRP at the set price and then have a reason to give a discount 
because it's been used as a demo unit. What it really shows is there's so much margin, there's so much money in there about how much you actually pay versus how much it actually costs. Now, we're not against people making money, obviously. No. But the notion is is that, that with that amount of markup, there's a lot of games being played with this notion of demo units and things like that. Or, um, you know, if you'll do a few studies for us, you'll get a, a discount and things like that. Or if you go to a show, you get the show price. The show price, yeah. Now, it's, it's just one of those things that doing your homework ahead of buying a piece of equipment is incredibly beneficial. So that way, when you buy a piece of equipment, it is what is going to work in your practice for your patients uh, and be able to generate a, an additional income source, which is going to be a cash fee income source. So, I mean, we love lasers. We sell lasers. I use lasers pretty much. And you teach lasers. And I teach lasers pretty much every day of the week. But if you take just a little bit more time to do some research into it, you're going to be better off. And, you know, there's lots of events that people can go to. They always invite you to go to events. Um, and they're usually a really great dinner. Um, you know, it's fun. But those events, even though they're called educational events, are sales events. Yes, they are. <laughs> and you need to understand that, yes, you might be seeing a demonstration of a device, but it is a sales event. And there's nothing wrong with sales events. Just know that when you go into it, it's a sales event. When you walk into a car dealership, they're not just trying to you know, tell you about the cars. They want to sell you the cars. Right. So if you're in the, you know, if you want to go and see other um, devices, these events are a great way to, you know, take a look at the devices, but just know that there is going to be sales involved. So if you're not ready to sell or buy, then you can take your time. And it's just, you want to buy what works for your business, not what works for the salesperson. And that's what we're trying to get to is that, you know, because this is a sort of a class that goes from A to A to Z, we're trying to now kind of figure out how do we determine what works for our business. Now, earlier, uh, we were talking a little bit about this notion of core doctors and non-core doctors. Let's get into that and how that affects what we're talking about. Well, your core docs um, in the aesthetic laser arena are going to be your plastic surgeons and your dermatologists. Okay? And it's because it's core to their business. They have training in aesthetics specifically, yes. and that's what they're doing a lot day in and day out. Yes. Now, dermatologists, they have medical dermatology and cosmetic dermatology, yes. but in many cases, there's a lot of bleed over, over between the two. Mm -hmm. Well, because, I mean, the whole reason people want to put lasers in their office, in um, medical offices uh, and MedSpas, is because it's a cash-paying business. Right. We don't deal with insurance, which is very beneficial because docs dentists, they're getting killed with insurance. Right. Um, so it's nice to have a cash payment business. When somebody comes sees me, they give me a credit card at the end, they give me cash, they give me a check, they give me something. They don't give me their credit, their um, insurance card because I don't take them. So they, this is a cash business, which is very beneficial to these docs. So they want to have us in their business. So we're saying that, so if they're, a, if they're a core doctor, they're kind of already doing that and they want to just capture the yes. business. But the non-cores are kind that's of where That's focus. where a lot of the movement in bed spots into selling lasers. Now, the laser salespeople have already gone after all the derms and plastics. That's the first hit. Now they're going after the non-core. And the non-core are other types of doctors, whether internal medicine, um, OB-GYN, anesthesiologist, GI, urology. Um, I had neuro... Uh, I just a radiologist the other day. No, too. I had a radiologist, but I also had a neurosurgeon, which I'm like, dude, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's he, not like it's brain surgery. 
<laughs> yeah, they threw a towel on the floor too. I told them to pick it up. So I don't care if you're a neurosurgeon or not, you're being messy, cut it out. Um, so these dogs are actually a little bit more susceptible to predatory tactics because they haven't been playing in this arena. Yeah, they're not used to, they don't really know the relative value of the machine and they don't have the training and experience based on doing the procedures to know how much they can make from the procedure, how long it takes, what the real demand for it is. Because the laser salesperson is gonna tell you what, everybody's just dying to get in to see you and the second you buy this thing, you're gonna be just drowning in money and it's yeah. going to be like all oh, dollar bills up in here right away. One of the last emails I got from one of the larger manufacturers um, I got earlier this week is um, basically they go in after they sell a laser and then they do an event for, so like, they like, help. Like, a, like an open house yeah, or like introduce house, the, introducing the device. Got it, got it. So they do an event. And so my email was, we helped this doctor earn $40,000 at this event. Okay. Which, okay, if they really did, not bad. Fantastic, yeah. But how long is that $40,000 going to last? I mean, you're talking about a $200,000 machine. It's not going to put it in it. So when they leave, what are you left with? Yeah, if you can't repeat that or have that as part of the business practice, how the practice runs to be able to constantly generate new patients without the help of people who do that for you, uh, unless they're going to live at your practice, that might be just that one-time bump. Mm -hmm. You've so, done that before. You've sold skin styles. You've gone in, what, a year later to people's uh, yearly I, I, open I, I, house and you've helped sell treatments, right? Yes. So that is a good thing to have happen, right? It that, is. That's something you should maybe ex at least ask about or expect or, or want from your rep is, hey, you know, I'm getting a new piece of technology for our practice. I need to know how to sell it and I need you to sort of help me do it and show me how to do it. But it's the, it's more of the notion of like, instead of, you know, giving people fish, you teach them how to mm -hmm. fish. And that's what the problem is. Well, and, and my, my docs all know that they have access to me. I mean, most of them have my cell phone number if they need help. Um, but if I can help them make their business more profitable, I'm certainly going to do my best. But I'm also talking about with skin cells, we're talking about, you know, a four to $5,000 device right. as opposed to 150 right. to 300. One of my friends just bought um, a machine and, you know, the, the list price was MSR or MSRP was 300,000. I mean, 300,000, that's a house. And when they came back, with well, you sold it to this person. All of a sudden, the, the margins went from three hundred thousand down to one hundred and eighty. So they ended up buying it one hundred and eighty. So they knocked one hundred and twenty thousand dollars off by you know yeah, having somebody like else forty thirty something percent off. Just because they got caught trying to do with MSRP and they pushed back a little bit, and one hundred and eighty thousand is still an incredibly expensive device. And you've got to see if what is it going to take to hit your return on investment, right? Like how, how much many, do you make per procedure, what the demand is. And how what can you charge? And keep in mind too, that's just the payment. It doesn't talk about if you had any sort of interest on the loan, because in many cases, unless you paid cash for it, uh, now you're you you know you, you're paying interest. And then on top of that, you have that warranty cost and things that we're going to talk about. Yeah. It's and not the factor just, on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very expensive to play with lasers. And lasers can generate a really nice income or a residual or a um, ongoing income for your office. But... You first have to decide whether or not they're actually going to fit in with your office. Yeah, they can also put you out of business if they're not um, purchased appropriately and the right equipment's being phased into your practice the right way, yeah. which is make sure there's a patient demand. Make sure that you, um, well, here's some other things that are on our list to talk about. Make sure that you're actually licensed to operate it or, or if you need a medical director or a higher licensure, 
like an employee contractor. Give me an example of that. Like uh, if if you wanted to do a blade of laser and you're an esthetician, that's going to be a problem in this state, right? Yes. So you're, if you want to use that particular piece of machinery, you're going to have to hire a nurse, a nurse or, or a PA, a PA or, or something or a like that. And, and then, because they're, all, they're the only licensure that can run that, yes. right? Um, you know, when we talk about things like um, uh, injectables, um, we, briefly, let's talk about that. Unless you're the person doing the injecting, in many cases, like you found in your own spa, because you, you don't inject and can't inject based on licensure, um, it hasn't been that profitable for you because by the time you pay for the, uh, the, product. the product and pay the injector, there's not a lot left. No. That's why, I mean, that's why I outsource it, um, simply because to get a good injector, they're expensive, and you want expensive because they're a good injector. Yeah, it takes a lot of training to do that it right. Takes, it takes a ton. It's an hour. Yeah. Uh, that's something that I've looked at myself for how we do things, and and you know, to be a really good injector is more than just an eight-hour course. It's a lot of training and a lot of experience and, and making mistakes, hopefully not on your patients on early on when they're first starting out, because... Um, the, the downside of things like this is things can go wrong with, with uh, not just, you know, machines, but with, with injections, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Um, you know, there's, there's patients just as unhappy the way it looks. And there's also you know, actual adverse events that can happen. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things it truly, and I know we're going to continually to harp on this, um, because it's one of the biggest things I see go wrong, but buying what's, I mean, let's say if you're a geriatric doctor everybody's over the age of 70 and you want to get into hair reduction. Probably not a great yeah, idea. Yeah, there's not that the much market for Well, because the hair stops growing after a certain age. True, and it's white. And it's so, white. So it's, it's not, not going, going to get work. seen by the laser. So you're going to spend, a, you know, $100,000 on something that you can't use. Sure. And now you're going to have to offload it onto somebody. And we'll get into that on the problem on selling as a practitioner or a piece of used equipment. But it is truly... It's time to just slow down a little bit and do your homework. And if you expect the laser salesperson to do all of your homework, you're going to end up buying a laser. Yeah, and you know the information that they give you. We're not saying it's incorrect, but in many cases, there's pieces of it's it incomplete. missing. Yeah, it's incomplete. So um, I think again, if you're looking to purchase a laser or a piece of uh, aesthetic equipment in the state of Arizona, Chris is probably a pretty good person to talk to. Not because she sells lasers, just leave that part out. She teaches these things. She acts as an expert witness and has done so many, so much work with helping people with their figuring out what paperwork, what licensure, what machines, how to register them with the state and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, truly, when, when they get to me and now they have to, you know, get trained and then they say, well, I was never told that. I feel like crap because I'm like, well, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad You're news. You're always the bearer of bad news. I, know, I hear sucks. these phone calls and no, people sucks. have been told, oh, and I, I, I was told that I can use this machine right away. And, you know, they needed a medical director. They need a medical director and they need to get their facility, um, you know, registered because here's the thing. If you're working in the state of Arizona, someday the Arizona Department of Health is going to show up at your office. Yep, they come to ours. Yep, we've had two visits. Um, they can come in anytime they want. And whenever I talk to them, it's like, well, we're out in the field doing inspections. So they will inspect you. Um, they will find you. And if you don't have all your ducks in a row, they're going to shut you down. And I had to go into offices to help clean up messes which actually costs you a lot more than what it would cost you if you help let me help you fix your office before you had an inspection. Yeah, what are the you know, you've seen some fines. What are some of the fines that go 
they can go anywhere. Oh, they can and start with just shutting you down and you can't work anymore. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, and how and long they, does it take to get reopened? They have to re-inspect, right? Well, it, yes, and it depends on what your deficiencies are. Got it. Um, and it can be hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars. And BT dubs, for anybody who is a laser operator, um, if you, back in the past when you didn't renew, because a laser operator has to renew their certificate every we're, year in the state of Arizona. The state of Arizona. We're talking Arizona now. Yes, Arizona. Okay, go ahead. Um, this is just a quick PSA. So you have to renew your uh, certificate with the state of Arizona now. It's the Arizona Department of uh, Health Services every single year. And it's not on your birthday. And the reason they say it's not on your birthday <coughs> is because a lot of people doing this are um, estheticians. And our BOC, or Board of Cosmetology, licensure renews on our birthday. So it. it isn't your, it's when you got your license or your certificate. Back in the past, up until this year, um, if you didn't renew it, uh, it'd be a month later, a couple of weeks later, you might get a little bit of a fine. They may make you pay a little bit more money, but they would renew your license. They're not doing that anymore. If you're one minute late is what they told me. I was on the phone with them and they told me, it's like, you're one minute late over that deadline. You have to resubmit all of your paperwork, all your, of like your, your logs, law, treatment logs, everything. I don't know how many people probably don't keep those. Everybody should keep them, yes. but you have to resubmit everything and start all over again and it's a nightmare and i've had a couple of my students who that happened to because one said they had a surgery and then they forgot and then the dog ate the homework and i don't know what else happened but three months later it's like and then she wanted me to resubmit my paperwork but to change some of it i'm like i can't change anything you submitted before this was in place so now you have to resubmit, and I'm not going to change the documentation to match what you need. I'm yeah, only going to give you're you. You're not going to falsify documents no, because I'm someone going, forgot. I'm going to yeah. give you what I gave you before. So it's one of those things that it's really important to make sure if you are a laser operator in the state of Arizona to pay attention to what that little date is on your certificate. I know what mine is. It's September 30th of every year, and a month before. You, yeah, do it, it early. expires. Yep. You need to do it online. They've changed that, so it's all online now. But you need to do it about a month ahead of time to make sure that it's done before in case they get backed up. Just for the sake of conversation, how many of this, just name a few states that have similar laws that we've, that like, similar to Arizona? Well, Arizona is basically what they based their laws off. Um, right. Florida has uh, laws in place now, but they have you have to be an electrologist to be a laser tech, which makes no sense because the modalities have nothing to do yeah, with each other like except things. for hair reduction. Um, Texas does. Texas. Um, <clears throat> uh, state of Washington does because they have a master aesthetics program now. Right. The state of Oregon has a like a lower level master aesthetics a license that includes lasers. Um, Utah, Virginia has a master aesthetics license, but they don't include lasers. Um, Massachusetts has some laser laws. So, But the majority don't have anything. Okay. And just because they don't have laws doesn't mean that you shouldn't be um, well-trained. Now, there's a couple of states that, that unless you're a doctor, you can't use lasers at New all. New Jersey. And I, is it Rhode Island or one of the ones up north? I can't remember one of them. either Connecticut or one of those It two might be Connecticut. I'm not sure if it's yeah, Connecticut. Yeah, one up in New England that's that way, too. Yeah, in New and, Jersey. And, of course, California. You have to be an RN, a PA, or a, an MD or DO. Right. So there is no such thing as a laser I can't, tech in, I can't California. Work in California. can't even work there. I trained a ton of people in California, but I can't physically work there. Got it. Okay. So... If you needed to figure this out, where would you go? Obviously, you'd go to go online and look at your call your board to figure that out. Yes, 
And, you know, here's the thing is even with my school, I get a ton of questions from people out of state. People don't want to do their own research. Yeah, yeah. They want somebody else to do it You're for the them. Google for everyone. I know. So instead of Google it, it's group it. Um, so they want me to figure it out. You have to take responsibility for your own self. Okay, because the laws are changing in different states and I might not know when those laws are changing and you might not even know when those laws are changing if you're not paying attention. Yeah, you, you don't practice law in any state. I don't practice law in any state, <laughs> exactly. um, but I do practice lasers in the state of Arizona. So it's up to me to understand what the rules and regulations are in my state. It's up to you to understand what your rules and your regulations are. And I would start with your either whatever your licensure, either if it's your medical board or if it's your board of cosmetology, nursing board, um, nursing whatever, board, whatever yeah. it is, start there. And then if you have a radiology um, a regulatory agency like ours was, the Arizona Radiation Regulatory Agency before it was the Department of Health Services, um, you need to you need to do some research. Sure. Everybody thinks this is a really fun business, and it is, but there's some work that goes into the front end. And if you are relying on a laser salesperson to do that work for you, basically you're going to buy a laser. Yeah, and what, what's going to happen is you're not, in many cases, you, you're going to have some real hurdles to jump through before you're able to use it if you didn't pay attention to to things that you should have found out on your own because in many cases they just gloss over that or don't even bring it up okay, most of the time they don't bring it up because again it's it's not like a huge expense i mean it's for doctors here to be a medical director it doesn't even cost them anything except for their schooling part which is what about you charge about a thousand bucks yeah. to do medical how long does it take for your school to 24 do? hours 24 hours of, of in-person training yes okay um, so if you, if you, you know, it's not that expensive, but it's a pain in the ass. Now, what is it just for the sake of, of, uh, discussion, how many hours do you have to take to be, if you're an esthetician or career changer person to get to be a laser tech 88. and of those, how do those hours break down? 40 hours for, um, theory. So the didactic 48 hours for the hands-on, if you're doing both hair reduction and other cosmetic lasers, um, hair reduction is mandatory. Other cosmetic lasers is optional. So. If I remember right, you have to take 40 hours of classroom, take a test, and then you're going to get into the hands-on portion, yes. and that's going to be another 48 hours. If you're doing the whole thing. But 24 of them start out as being hair, hair reduction. reduction, and you have to do the hair reduction yes. first before you do anything else, yes. and you have to do at least, is it 10? 10, 10 minimum treatments. So it's called a 24-10 rule. 24 hours, 10 minimum treatments. So you do 10 hair reduction treatments at least in, the, in that in that. 24 uh, hours. hour period. Yes, you better be getting more than that, Hopefully, by the way. Hopefully, yeah, because it takes a lot more than 10 to do it right, I'm guessing. It does. Um, then you can go into other cosmetic lasers, which... Means um, what? What, what, so, what specific things are, are, are grouped into that other so, cosmetic laser? The photofacials and everything underneath it, which are uh, reds and browns, basically. So, so like an IPL machine? So they don't regulate machines, they regulate procedures. Oh, okay. So that's the important thing to know. It's not about the machine, it's about the, the treatment, treatment being yes. done. Got it. So it's not... Because with... If you're doing hair reduction, you could use a laser or an IPL That's device. That's true. Yep. Okay. So when you get to other cosmetic lasers, it's fractional non-ablative, um, non-ablative tattoo removal, photofacial, and then everything that used to fall underneath photofacial, but now it's broke out separately. So like, like. solar uh, litigenies, um, adult acquired adult hemangiomas, those kind of resin browns. Okay. Um, skin How about RF stuff? R so RF is a device that is regulated, so radio frequency. So the state regulates lasers, intense pulse light, and radio frequency. Devices for aesthetics. Yes. Got it. So, but a laser operator isn't approved to use machines. They're approved to do treatments. Got it. On different things. So, so that's why they can't do RF ablative. would be like skin tightening. Got it. 
Um, and then we have RF microneedling as well. Yes. Okay. And then you also have something like, like sort of like a lamp probe skin system, right? Is that an RF thing? It is an RF thing. And what does that do? Like cherry angiomas? Yeah, yeah, skin tags, that kind of okay. stuff. It's almost like an electric cautery. So at your class, that's what you guys teach. You start out with the hair reduction. You do your ten, at least 10 treatments. And because you keep class sizes small, hopefully people get a lot more than 10. And then in the next the next 24 hours, which isn't mandatory, but if they're going to do those treatments, they have to take it. Mm-hmm. You're, they're going to do at least 10 treatments of each of, each of those things. Yes. So you'd okay. have to have 10 treatments under 24 hours. Then you can divide it up. 10 treatments of photofacials that cover the different browns and reds in the skin. 10 treatments for tattoo removal. 10 treatments for non-ablative fractional. If you want to do cellulite, they regulate for that. Um, laser peel. Um those are all things that are subsets of uh, what you can get on your certificate that you can perform afterwards. Interesting point about the laser peel. I that know, is, I don't get this one. That is the one, uh, it's actually an ablative machine, but it's at a very, very shallow depth. Yes. Is that right? What is that? Is it three think, microns or no, two I think, microns? I think it's actually up to 20 microns. 20 microns. So yeah, it's, su- it's point super, 0.2 super millimeters, yes. basically. It's super superficial. Um, but when it comes to a truly ablative with a CO2, or an erbium laser, I'm not supposed to be doing it. Even though I know lots of people that are me that are doing it, they're technically not supposed to be doing it. We're supposed to be doing non-ablative procedures. So even if you were under the the uh, you're under a medical director and they were right there, you still can't do it because no. your licensure says you cannot do that, regardless of who's standing next to you. Correct. I, I can't do those procedures without a medical director. But I can't do other procedures even with a medical director Got if it. it's not in my licensure. Got it. Okay. So, again, it's super confusing. Now, what, what's cool is is that let's say you didn't need any licensure at all, any of this training. But by taking this training, though, it makes it so you're able to actually get a job. Isn't that what the issue comes down to? Well, here's the thing. it's We talk about safe, effective, and profitable. And the first thing is safe. <coughs> Most of the time, the cases that I've worked on – oh, excuse me. i got to get a drink. Um the cases that I've worked on, these people weren't injured because the person doing the treatment hated that person. Okay, right. They're not being malicious. They're not trained correctly. They don't know what they're doing. So two reasons to get trained even if your state doesn't require it. One, insurance. Because um, nobody's going to want to insure you if you don't have the proper training. Okay. But two, you don't want to do something stupid and get sued. So we're talking about liability then yeah. right now. Okay, so let's take a quick break. and we come back, let's also talk about employability by getting trained. Evidence-Based Aesthetics is brought to you by Skin Stylus, providing state-of-the-art microsystems to clinicians at reasonable prices. Check out SkinStylus.com to see the latest in micro-device technology that solves the cross-contamination issue without breaking the bank. Call Skin Stylus today at 480-369-6905. Okay, we're back from break. So we were just talking about like, so getting trained keeps you from getting sued, hopefully, or at least hopefully. it reduces it. Reduces but as far as like, if you wanted to, um, let's talk about the industry right now. If you want to get a job doing lasers and you're not a nurse, PA, nurse practitioner, doc, you're a, uh, you're working at a, as a waitress and you're sick of it and you want something like you do, you got tired of doing what you were doing, did something different. Um, what's, you know, getting a job in this field, difficult, not difficult? Um, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, this field is saturated. It really isn't saturated with good people. It may be have a lot of people that aren't so great, but 
there really isn't a saturation level of good people. Okay. Um, so when it comes down to getting a job and being employable, Arizona's kind of interesting where you can have a career changer. So let's say you go from working at a fast food and now you're a laser tech two weeks later. Can you get a job? Um, it depends. And, and that's the truth. I mean, the most employable people have some type of dual licensure or certification. Like what? Um, if they're a nurse, they're also a laser tech. Or if they're an esthetician, they're a laser tech. Okay. So people that are hiring are looking for more than one certification or licensure just because you're a more well-rounded person and you can do other things. So in your downtime, if you're not losing, using lasers or you're an esthetician, you could do facials or waxing or some other type of um, procedure. If you're a nurse and a laser tech, <clears throat> then you could do injections plus doing a laser. Got so it. IVs. And yes. Stuff so like being that. a career changer um, is it's possible to get a job, but it's not that easy okay. to get a job. At least in the state of Arizona, there's other states that you can't. Now there's some businesses that all they do is hair reduction or. So some of these big chains yeah. like uh, late. Laser away, is that a chain? Or? They are, but actually they hire more of PAs and RNs. Okay. Um, but let's say like uh, Simplicity Laser. Okay. They can hire people that are right out of laser school okay. and people that aren't um, estheticians because they don't do any other aesthetic procedures. So they're, they they're, just do lasers. Their practice, if you want to call that, lasers. is pretty much just lasers. It's hair reduction. Now, this class, this course, this podcast, this video series is called uh, med spa madness. So let's spin it around. You're going to get ready to hire somebody for your med spa. What should you be looking for um, as far as their training goes? Oh, first thing I say, I ask them if they know what laser stands for. Besides that, yeah, I mentioned this good thing, but I mean, it's like if we're actually looking at their credentials, does it matter where they went to school? Yeah, because I know the schools in town, and I'm not going to say who they are, that the training is not great. So what do you mean by not great? They didn't get enough hands-on? They didn't push the science enough? They, uh, most of it, it comes down to their, well, actually, it's both. They're not pushing the science enough. If I ask them how a laser actually works, they can't tell me. Okay. Which means if you if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, you're going to make mistakes. So we're talking about things like chromophores and fluence and, and pulsation. If you don't understand the basic concepts, which aren't that basic, but I mean, at least how the laser interacts the with, the, with the tissue, what wavelengths do what, how the body responds to it, there are going to be mistakes made. But even more importantly, um, it, it's going to make it so if you can't express that to someone who's hiring you to do that job, you might not get hired. You're probably not going to get hired unless the person that's hiring you doesn't know what they are looking for or they just need a body. So if you, you're trying to open your med spa up, you need to hire at least one person because you can't do everything. What would be a good thing to look for? I mean, would you, is it better to hire a nurse? I mean, how would it work? It would depend on what you want to do. If okay. you want to do injections and, ha and having somebody do you know neurotoxins and, and fillers, um, obviously you have to have like a nurse or a PA. So let's say you're an esthetician and you're, and, or, uh, and, or a cosmetologist and you want to open up your own med spa. Because your licensure lets you do certain things and there's some other things you can't do, it may make more sense to buy someone with a, if you will, higher licensure, mm -hmm. right? So then you can do those other things. Yeah. Conversely, if you're a nurse, a PA, a doctor, and you want to open your own med spa, it may not, may, may not, may, 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 I can't say it, may <laughs> not make sense <laughs> to hire one of yourself or, or because- so You're going to dilute that, that pot of, of injectables. Right. And, and I mean, just the way that, I mean, if we're being honest, what you can pay people, people with higher licensure. Insurance make more money. 
obviously they do things that cost more money too. So um, if you don't need someone to do injections because you're already doing them or run some of the ablative lasers and you want someone to focus on the, uh, let's say, uh, microneedling and they're going to focus on hair reduction, it might make sense to hire a laser tech. Mm -hmm. But you're saying also that it would be nice if they also had an aesthetics licensure too if you were considering doing those types of things. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you know, when we're talking about things like safe and effective, we've talked about this a little bit before, but once again, what's what makes things safe or not safe? Well, basically your laser operator is going to give you a set of your laser salesperson when you purchase the laser is going to give you a user manual it's going to give you some generic settings how Correct. valuable are those actually they're very valuable okay. I, I won't work in a machine without um it, we call it like a cookbook or a parameter guide okay um, it's basically it breaks down the uh skin types and what is your tolerated fluence or maximum fluence which is how much energy is coming out of the device and your pulse duration which is the on off time um, so it'll say for skin types one through three, these are your parameter settings. <clears throat> so your fluence and your pulse duration. When you go to skin type four, then it's going to give you different settings, skin type five and skin type six. If it doesn't have skin type six on it, it means that that machine hasn't been approved or cleared to work on that skin type. Um, and the valuable thing about having parameter settings is it gives you a starting point. Okay. The thing that's not great about parameter settings is sometimes the device's parameter settings are a little bit on the aggressive side um, or it encourages, because here's the thing is when we talk about fluence and we can talk about fluence and pulse duration at different uh, times, how much energy is coming out of the machine. If, if it says that you're supposed to use between 36 and 40 joules on a device, so let's say we're talking about hair reduction, but the person's never had a treatment done before, so they have a lot of target, you can actually go less than 36. I you see. can go a lot less than 36. Having training, and when I train people in my um, school, I trained a clinical endpoint. And the reason I changed a clinical endpoint is so they get to see what the skin looks like at the end. What it, it should look, look like. like. Yes. Got it. Where I used to work, we knocked the settings down all the time. Like we would, so you, you know. You, you would make it so it was safe, but not particularly effective. Exactly. Um, but that doesn't help them when they get in the real world and have to do real settings. Because if they don't give... Efficacy, if, if the patient's not getting results because they were used to getting trained on, you know, training wheel settings, these people aren't coming back. Well, they're not coming back. Um, but more importantly, the person doing the procedure doesn't know what the skin should look like at the end. Got it. So um, in that case, they can, in some cases, then... They can uh, over-treat. Over-treat. Or, under or under-treat. Under-treat. Under-treating means that you're not effective. Over-treating means that you're not safe. So it Got has it. to be a combination. And so your parameter settings are the starting grounds. They're also, um, basically, if you have your parameter settings and you have a skin type 2, or let's say you have a skin type 4, and you want to go to a treat them with skin type 2 settings, you can't do that. You can't go outside of those parameter settings without the blessing of your medical director. Okay. Um, because if you do, and you burn somebody, somebody like me is going to come along and throw you under the bus. You're talking about in, in a legal sense. Yes. As an expert witness, yes. you'd say, look, you know, you, you should have known not to do that. Just because you didn't know doesn't mean you should not have no. known. And there's a case I worked on up in Oregon before they changed their laws. Um, and it was, I don't know if she was a new technician or not, but she had a skin type 5 patient. And he came in and he was complaining that he wasn't getting fast enough results. Well, a darker skin type is not going to get as fast results as somebody who's lighter skin type because you have to be more careful with your skin. So let's stop for just a sec. So that means you're going to turn your energy settings down because of the safety part. 
and favoring safety over efficacy. Yes. So someone with darker skin, because the, the laser sees or the IPL sees color, they're not going to, compared to someone with lighter skin, are not going to get their results as fast. No. Got it. Because there's not, you have to look at the difference between the target, which would be the hair and the skin. The closer the target and the skin colors are, the more difficult it becomes. Got it. So like your hair is blonde on your arms, your skin's really white. That's still difficult, but I'm not worried about burning you. Somebody who's darker skin with darker hair, their whole, their skin and the hair is now the target. So it's attracting that. Yes. So this, this guy Absorbing had, it. Yeah, this guy had two settings done as a skin type five. He comes in, he's complaining. Whenever one of your patients complains, by the way, your patients aren't in charge in your room, okay? You are the trained person. You are in charge. So you don't get to be bullied by your patients and you don't listen to what they say. I mean, I've had- As far you know, as them complaining about turning it up, please turn it up. Nuke me. I want you to turn I can take it, blah, blah, blah. It's all fun and games until they get burned and then they're all sudden in a deposition. I was lying on the bed, writhing in pain, and she kept screaming, no pain, no gain, um, which- <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I saw that in a deposition, so never say that in your room. Um, yeah, don't say no pain, no gain. Here's yes. your, your takeaway point. Lesson. Here's your gift with purchase. Um, and so what she did is she went up 18 joules in her fluids and treated him as a skin type 1. So here's this dude, and he's basically bitching about the fact that he hasn't gotten enough uh, efficacy. Okay. She turns the fluids up, treats him as a skin type 1, burns the hell out of his face, and he sues her and he wins. Right. Because she should have known. Because she should have known. Don't listen to the dude on the table. They didn't go to school. Yeah. And, and when in doubt, the reason why we say safety, efficacy, profitability in that order is because safety has to come before efficacy. Yes. Safety every time. Is, yes. It, you will sacrifice efficacy for safety. Got it. Now, laser uh, sales reps would tend to be putting profitability ahead. Whatever makes, makes the money, well, regardless you know, if it's safe or The only times I've been burned is by a laser sales rep. Is that true? Yeah. No, it really uh, is. Um, I won't tell you their names. I'll tell wow. you later. I'll care about, um, I won't tell you now, but yeah, the only time I've been burned, well, actually training one of my friends who was a laser instructor, how to do a procedure on me, she burned me. Um, and then two laser reps burned me wow. and they tend to be a lot more aggressive if they're not a laser rep. And you know, one of the nice things about, you know, working with me or one of our reps is we're practitioners so you're clinicians so you know this stuff because <laughs> yeah. you do it i do i would let me work on me um but when you have somebody who knows basically the parameter guide but really hasn't treated skin that's when you're going to get burned so you know, that's my exact point is that there's a lot of folks that might say okay well i have a machine and i have these guide the guide i can read a guide and go through it i mean i can program a vcr so therefore i can run a laser and what, what you're saying is is that even with the guide there's so much more to know to be safe effective and profitable oh, the so settings are, are the least of your worries in some cases the, the settings are a starting point then it comes down to you know their skin type their ethnicity sun exposure, how much target they have. And that's one thing that a lot of people forget is how much target. So if you, if you have somebody who's never had um, hair reduction on their underarm done before, they've got a lot of target versus somebody like me who's done it a ton of times where I might have like one or two hairs left. Got I it. need a lot more fluence in my treatment now. Because there's not a lot of target. Because there's not a lot of target. So you have to get the same absorption, which means you have to increase your fluence. So those settings are going to change on the same person over Absolutely. time. Okay. Yeah. So all good things to know. Um, you know, let's jump to this thing called ASLMS. You One mentioned that favorites. real quick. 
What is that? American Society for Lasers and Medicine and Surgery. Do you work for them and get a big commission? I get nothing <laughs> other than a lot of information. No. Okay. Um, so what is that? What, what do so they do? It's a, it's a, it's a society. It's an organization that promotes safe and effective use of lasers. Okay, cool. Um, and they put out a publication. This is, okay, a little nerd geek story about us. I mean, they have a, a Wiley publication that they have every month. Red. It's red and it's beautiful. <laughs> um, and February is my favorite month. This sounds so sick because that's when the abstracts come out for their um, trade show, their convention, which is in early April. So you can see all the really the cool new, things. New and the people, yeah. yeah, the cool stuff. That's it's the, how the I learned latest how to use, research. Yeah, a Q-switch laser on melasma is through an ASLMS article through one of the abstracts. So if you want to join that, what do you do? Just go to ASLMS? ASLMS.org. Okay. Um, it's not very expensive to join. You get your really cool Wiley publication every month. And then you also um, get information, I think, next year. I think 2020. Or, yeah, 2020, I think it's back here in Phoenix. Do you go to this? I do. It's, okay. I, I love going to theirs because it's it's just lasers and skincare. It's a smaller conference. You know, AAD, uh, which is the Durham Conference, is huge. Yeah, it really is. It's big. like going to freaking Disneyland. Um, it's massive. And there's a lot of good information, but it's massive. I prefer some of the smaller shows because they're easier to manage. Very cool. Let's take a break here for just a second. Evidence-Based Aesthetics invites you to join Evidence-Based Aesthetics Facebook group. Okay, we're back. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the FDA and board considerations, okay? Um, I have a special place in my heart for the FDA right now because I'm going through a, an FDA submission and I talk with them every week and we've, it's been going on for over two years and it's, it's all about what tests need to be done and, and picking apart data. Um, so I Super have a, fun. a lot of experience dealing with the FDA. Um, what, I, what we're going to just very basically touch on is... There's a lot of uh, sales reps like to use a lot of banter about the FDA, and a lot of it doesn't quite make sense if you don't know what the, what the terms mean. In many cases, they almost misuse the term. Um, there's the notion that the FDA also controls what a doctor or a clinician does, um, and then there's you know the difference between the FDA and the board. Okay, so let's get into that. For medical devices, medical devices are, are, are assigned risk, if you will, and what they look at with the FDA is if it's a not regulated device, a class one device, class two, class three device, and what happens is, is that based on the level of risk, it gets assigned a class. So class one devices are lower risk than tongue depressors, tongue yeah, something like that. Class two devices, like a lot of lasers, have what, what are called general controls and special controls. These are tests and, and criteria that these device manufacturers have to meet before they can sell their device. So when you get a clear device, there's no, no such thing as a, an approved device. Approvals are for drugs. drugs. Clearances are for devices. So what you're looking for is a FDA clear device. Now, there's also the FDA registered device, okay? An FDA registration, all that means is that they got on an FDA website, paid about $4,300 per year. Is that that much now? Yeah. It goes up every year around $5,000 a year, and then you list who your company is and what the name of your device is and what class that you guessed it was. The FDA doesn't help you decide any of that. They don't even really check it. They basically just let you pay to list your device. That's what FDA registered means. It doesn't mean anything about whether or not it's been cleared. 
the FDA has nothing to do with clearing it and registering at the same time. Registration is simply saying there's a device. The different part of the FDA does the enforcement and decides whether or not the way that the device is being sold or, or, or advertised is what, what they're looking at. They regulate that, okay? What the FDA doesn't do, for the most part, even though theoretically by the law they can, but if we look at the actual way the FDA works, is they do not really regulate the clinician, okay? The state, your state board is who's regulating you, okay? So, yeah, there's been one or two cases where the FDA has actually gone, gone into a doctor's office and shut them down, but only because of and they were doing things like selling fake cancer cures where people were dying. It's got to be really serious. Otherwise, the job of the FDA is to... to regulate manufacturers, okay? They're not regulating clinicians. Boards regulate clinicians. So what we're saying is the FDA isn't likely to be coming to your door. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay attention to it. It just means to understand that there's a lot of scare tactics being used out there in the marketplace right now for different devices. So what we have this notion is the idea of off-label use, okay? What that really means is, is that when a device is cleared by the FDA, Okay, that means they have to tell the FDA based on its cl the clinical trial that was done and the testing that was done, what it's being used for on what body area for what skin types and what ages. It has a, it's a very specific thing. Uh, an example, uh, skin style is going through clearance right now. It's going to be for ventral, thorax, hypertrophic scars on ages 22 and above. That's very specific. Skin types one through six. Skin types one through six. Up to two point five. Up to two point five millimeters depth. That's how specific it is. Now let's let's pick another. Let's pick a laser. Uh, let's say that a CO two laser has been approved for resurfacing. Um, that doesn't mean it couldn't be used for something else off label. An easier way to to describe off label is usually with Botox. You want to talk about that? So. Uh... Botox or, or Dysport or um, Zeomin, they're all neurotoxins. Um, and what's interesting is Botox first just had its um, clearance or its approval for right here in the glabella. Right. Um, I think it was the end of 2017 that it got approval for uh, forehead. And also, I think it was 2016 maybe that it got crow's feet. Okay. Um, so those were the only on-label uses. And you think two, only two years ago, did you get for the forehead? Well, you know, I'm going to be 54 in a couple of weeks. Um, I can't sit out of the back. That's how old I am. Uh, I've had Botox in my forehead for a very long time. So were these, were these clinicians breaking use. the law? No, it's an off-label What use. does that mean then? It means that the FDA hasn't approved that um, site for an injection. Or cleared or it in cleared the case it. of a device. Yes. But it's okay for the doctor yes. to do that. Yes, it's okay. Now notice I said the word doctor, okay? Yes. When we're talking about off-label use, we're actually talking about doctors. But we're also talking about devices, okay? So if you're working under the license of a doctor and you're doing that, then you're working under his or her license. So an off-label use doesn't mean that it's an illegal use or inappropriate use. It means that's a use that you're allowed to do, but when they were marketing it, they can't talk about that no. particular use. They can't market that particular use, okay? Now, let's jump to another point, the idea of adulterated device. We have some of it, it, some devices out there that like to cheat, and we need to talk about it. <laughs> Stupid, I know. Uh, adulterated devices from the FDA means that they, did, they came in, did an inspection of the manufacturer or distributor, and found out that 
for whatever reason, the way that they were that manufacturer distributor was marketing the device was against FDA guidelines or regulations. Okay, in that case, what they do is they call it an adulterated device. What that means is it can no longer be sold or distributed until they figure out and fix what it is that's causing them to get that letter or that thing. So the FDA will say, you did this, this, and this. Until you stop doing this or fix this, your, your device is adulterated and you cannot sell it. Okay? There's a, a lot of confusion about what that means. If you buy and use an adulterated device, you can still use it as a clinician. But the problem is, is that your insurance carrier tends to, a lot of these insurance carriers have clauses in their insurance policy that says, if you use an adulterated device, we won't cover you. You're on your own. That's the issue, okay? They don't usually say that about off-label things, although there's a few exceptions. One of those is stem cells seems to be the big thing swirling with insurance carriers, where if you're using stem cells, they won't cover you if you use it for anything but what it was approved for. So though you need to pay attention to what your malpractice insurance says about what things you can do. And this is what we're getting back to. Why do, why do we care about this? Because we don't want to buy a device that's been cleared for one thing and find out it's, it's been adulterated or, or doesn't even have clearance for what you want to do with it. Or if, if it's been adulterated and you, you want to do that, you want to probably get a different device if that's what you want to do. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, <clears throat> what's interesting is if, Probably uh, six, seven years ago, nobody even talked about really the FDA. I mean, it, it was it was kind of a, a non. You had to do something point. really stupid yeah, to get really the FDA. About it. <clears throat> now it seems like people are using or weaponizing the words that the FDA uses. That's right. To sell their devices, so we'll see things that FDA registered on devices out there that aren't even registered. The registration is basically a way for the FDA to get a hold of the distributor or the manufacturer in case they need to. Right. Or if you're importing things from out of the country into it, it's a way for customs to know where you are. And if you aren't registered, you're not getting your stuff through. That's right. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's the first step is the registration. But having something registered doesn't mean that you can use it. Okay. It's just that the FDA knows where I am. And if I have something come in through customs, customs you're talking about as a manufacturer, yes, as a manufacturer, if something comes into customs, they can call me, or the FDA branch of customs will call me and ask me about the intended use. Okay, so then you've got, as I said, clearance and approval. And, and so if they've got a device and they say FDA approved, it's not, it's not an approved device. It's a clear device. So they'll use the things like FDA approved for a device, which it's not such a There's thing. There's no such thing. No. So In many cases, it, it, it isn't actually cleared. No, it isn't cleared. Or they'll say, approved for estheticians. But the only person, the only people, organization in Arizona that can approve something for an esthetician is the Board of Cosmetology. That's right. That's it. It's not a device. Yeah, salespeople, uh, there's, there's a salesperson out there right now selling a particular device and says right on his Instagram page, approved for estheticians. And no, well, it's not. It's a brand new technology. Nobody even knows what the thing is. The Board of Cosmetology has not approved that. So I'm not sure who's approving it. It's approved by him for you to buy it, but that's not. <laughs> it's approved him to take your money, but if there is no approval. For an esthetician, the approval would have to come from the Board of Cosmetology. Um, and unfortunately, people, and I don't want to say they're lazy, but maybe they're lazy, um, or they just don't know where to look, or they just are are listening to somebody that's trying to sell them something to give them the information they want to yeah, hear. Yeah, you hear what you want to hear. You're in <clears throat> your own bubble. And then you, that if you're going to then sort of rely on that if something were to happen. Well, my salesperson said that. Guess gone. what? They're gone. 
when that when that we were. when the board of cosmetology comes in or or some other agency comes in your board comes in and you say well my salesperson said that it was approved that will totally not hold up they will no. not care because the a salesperson isn't the licensed person it's your license that's why this stuff matters it is and and so if you if you trust somebody to say well it's fda approved and it's a device just know it has to be fda cleared um and, and then it, there's a group of people and if we're talking about you know i'm on a lot of facebook groups with micro needling groups and things like that and then i've got people on there saying well it doesn't really matter it's just a scare tactic Trust me, with as much money as we've spent in years that we spent doing this, it isn't a scare tactic. It's something that is real. It's something that we've chosen to do with our device to go this route because we know it's going to end up at this end point that you have to have a clear device. And when we look at all the devices out there, safety matters. So if you have a cartridge that's leaking blood into a motor of a microneedling pen or a pen that's being used for microneedling, it matters. Yeah. Cross-contamination. That is, that is a real thing. Because so. it's your license. You get sued. You're the one. that The salesperson doesn't get sued. They go on to the, the next manufacturer person. Doesn't. What's interesting is out yeah. of all the cases that I've worked on since, and I started doing being an expert witness in 2007, so I've been doing that for 12 years. Out of all the cases I've worked on, the manufacturer doesn't get sued. Ever. Ever. Even because if they were named, they never error. found yep. No, it's operator error. And I've had people come to me and say, will you help us sue this manufacturer? I'm like, it's not going to go anywhere. They'll say operator error. And actually, when I look at the chart, it's operator error. Um, so it's not going anywhere. So it's up to you to protect yourself and your business and your patients. Let's say that to your, your salesperson put it in writing. Yes, you are FDA approved <laughs> and your board's approved to do this. And let's say a, a year later using this device and somebody gets injured. And then you go and say, well, I have this letter from the salesperson. You can guarantee that the attorney from the other side is going to kind of laugh and use that to pretty much wipe his butt with it. It's worth nothing. So the and then the salesperson will be right next door to your competition selling that same device. So really, you cannot listen to salespeople about licensure status of stuff that affects your license. You have to find out for yourself. Now, can you verify if something's been FDA cleared? Absolutely. How do you do it? FDA.gov. And then you go to the right side of the thing and you go to medical devices and then you go and you look for registration and then you have to put the actual name of the device in. There's or a database. Yes, there's a database. Yep. You can look it up. And there's also an, an entire consumer, the part of the FDA that you can actually call up and in many cases they'll help you. They'll say, no, it is. Yes, it isn't. Things like that. Yes. So there's no real excuse to, to take someone's word for it unless you really feel like that person's telling you the truth. In many cases, if they do have an, an actual clear device, they'll have a letter of clearance from the FDA. It will be something like um, a, a 510K or a de novo order. It'll, it'll say on it, it'll have the FDA on top and it'll, it'll have some different things on that. Um, here's a good resource, uh, FDAATTY.com. That's attorney Mark Sanchez. That happens to be mm -hmm. attorney I'm working with on my submission. He runs a blog that basically talks about a lot of these FDA issues. Your board may have prohibitions about certain technologies. Be sure to check that. In many cases, they'll put out uh, right on the front page, they'll say, info alert. This is a technology you shouldn't be using, something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, they they do even on um, you know certain ingredients or certain products that people are using to cleanse the skin. Um, that are very easy to get. And then they put out warning letters saying, hey, we're having a lot of allergic reactions with this. So there's things that you can go on. And, and the whole 
point of, I think, this conversation is you are in charge of your business and your future in your business. So it pays you to take some time to research something. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If somebody's got a little pen and they can do an upper and lower bluff as an esthetician and have zero complications because, you know, that pen just tickles the epidermis and causes somehow the dermis, even though it's not touching the dermis, the dermis to create contracture in the tissue and you get a blepharoplasty out of it, it's probably not going to work out so well. Yeah, it probably really is a class two device because it is. Or it should be because it's not registered and it's not actually, it hasn't gone through a clearance, gotcha. but it should be. Let's take a quick break here. Thanks for listening to the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast with your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. For more discussion and information on all things aesthetic, be sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing the next exciting episode of the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast.